Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. Hello everybody and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nail the Dortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine are doing this OITE slash board review series. We hope that you all are enjoying it and learning a lot. Now, if you have not already, go to Amazon and check out the companion book to this podcast. So if you want to check out the notes and uh, see exactly what we're going off, it, it kind of goes right on, right on step by step with what we're talking about here. So please go check that out. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this episode. We're going to continue on the foot and ankle train. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Uh, but I think we're going to move on to a little bit more of the actual trauma, not necessarily the ankle sprains, but the more uh, ankle fractures and the things that we uh, kind of made us interested in orthopedics in the first place, because we all had friends with ankle fractures or all had them ourselves growing up. So what what population that really has the highest incidence of ankle fractures? Yeah, and I was actually surprised uh, by this, but it is the elderly women that have the highest incidence of ankle fractures. And when I look back on residency, I mean, I'm still in residency, obviously, but uh, I did I did splint a lot of elderly women that were either just in town and slipped and fell and had a bimal or a trimal. Um, but elderly women have the highest incidence of ankle fractures. And getting into, I guess, some a little bit more of the biomechanics of you know the the ankle and how and how the different bones work. What happens to the fibula as the ankle is actually dorsiflexed? So the uh, fibula is going to externally rotate through the syndesmosis. Uh, and what, what actually happens, and this is one of the things where when you truly test the syndesmosis stability, it should be done through a dorsiflexed ankle because the talus is wider more anteriorly than it is posteriorly. So as you dorsiflex the foot, you're pushing that wider talus into the uh, tibiotalar articulation and it's causing that fibula to widen, separate and externally rotate to accommodate the wider anterior portion of the talus. Um, and then if you have a incompetent AITFL, which is the most commonly injured portion of the uh, syndesmosis, the fibula will continue to externally rotate even more uh, with that external rotation stress test that we just talked about. And so what's, what are some of the ligaments that prevent uh, talus inversion and anterior translation in regards to the fibula? Yeah, so that's when, you know, you're, you're going to be looking at the anterior and posterior talofibular ligaments. Again, so this is uh, looking at the talofibular, not tibiofibular, but the talofibular ligaments, ATFL, as well as the calcaneofibular ligaments. So this kind of this whole lateral uh, ligament, you know, kind of complex. So again, the ATFL and PTFL, as well as the CFL, the calcaneofibular ligament, all prevent the talus from inverting as well as the anterior translation of the uh, talus uh, in regards to the fibula. 
And so we talked a little bit about what happens when the fibula is dorsiflex, how it excellently rotates. We talked a little bit about how um, how the ATFL, PTFL, and CFL stop the talus from inverting and anteriorly translating. Uh, what ligament is a primary restraint to anterior lateral uh, displacement of the talus? So when you're thinking about where something is going to displace, you you have to think about the opposite area of uh, what's going to restrain it. So if we're talking about anterior lateral displacement of the talus, we're thinking more of a medial type structure to prevent it from going lateral. The medial structure is going to hold it back. And that's going to be the deep deltoid ligament. Um, and that's what is also going to be evaluated during these ankle fractures that we'll, we'll start to talk about um, in terms of like the, the different classifications and uh, what you have to be careful for, for some sort of like bimal equivalent type of injury. So um, now that we're kind of on that deep deltoid ligament and the medial malleolus, what are the components of the medial mal and what attaches to each? Yeah. And I remember when I was an intern, I was like, it's the medial mal. What do you mean? I mean, that's what it is, but there's actually, <laughs> there's more to the medial mal than yeah. just that. There's actually an anterior uh, colliculus or anterior malleolus and the, there's an intercollicular groove and then the posterior malleolus or the posterior colliculus. And so you have the anterior mal and it's really good if you get a lateral of the ankle or like under fluoro, if you, if you really look at it and try to pay attention to it, you can actually see the uh, the anterior and the posterior uh, colliculi of the of the of the malleolus. So the anterior mal is going to be a little bit larger and more distal uh, than the posterior mal. And so the anterior malleolus is going to be the attachment for the superficial deltoid ligament, and the posterior mal is going to be uh, the posterior mal as well as the intercollicular groove is going to be the attachment of the deep deltoid fibers. So again, anterior uh, colliculus is going to be the attachment for the superficial deltoid ligament and the deep deltoid is going to attach the posterior colliculus as well as the intercollicular groove. And again, if you look at a lateral of an ankle, you can see it really well. Uh, and, and also if you're fixing a medial mal and you have two screws um, that you're, that you're going to use to uh, use to fix those fractures, you can see them uh, next time you're looking at an x-ray, you can see one's probably going through the anterior mal and one's probably going through the posterior mal or colliculi. Um, now, what are the classifications for ankle fractures? I feel like I got asked this many times when I was a junior resident. Um, now I'm doing the asking uh, to our junior residents, but for those that are listening, uh, what are some of the classifications for ankle fractures? Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, the most common ones um, are going to be the AO uh, classifications, the uh, the Weber classification, and the Loggy Hansen. Uh, for any med students gearing up for their away rotations or their home rotations, this is your bread and butter. This is your time to shine. Is knowing the Loggy Hansen and the Weber classifications. So. Uh, I guess we'll get into it. What is the Weber classification? So the Weber classification is a more simpler classification or easier one to remember for me. And this is just pretty much just based on the fibular fracture location in relation to the syndesmosis. So Weber A is going to be below the syndesmosis or infrasyndesmotic. Uh, and these fractures are going to be more likely to be stable. 
Weber B is going to be transsyndesmotic, and this is actually the most common, uh, most common uh, uh, ankle fracture for the fibula. Then Weber C's are going to be suprasyndesmotic, and these are typically unstable fractures and have a higher, uh, higher injury uh, uh, rate for the syndesmosis. So again, level A is going to be infrasyndesmotic, Weber B is transsyndesmotic, and Weber C is suprasyndesmotic. Now, unfortunately, I gave you the longer, uh, the longer uh, question here, but I guess overall, what is the the Loggy Hansen classification uh, system? Yeah, and so it's uh, basically it's fractures that are according to a certain injury mechanism. There will be people out there who will argue how actually true the injury mechanism is to the actual injuries you see. But I think that it's a generally well-accepted classification. It gets the point across. If you're talking to one of your colleagues, you can say, oh, I got a supination adduction uh, fracture or a, a pronation external rotation uh, uh, injury. And so people will uh, tend to still use this um, out, in the, out in the real world. And so, uh, and, and you'll definitely still see questions on the OITE where you'll get an AP and a lateral x-ray of an ankle fracture and it will it will simply ask you is this a supination adduction is it an SCR is it a, a PAD or a PER and and basically what it's based on is the foot position and then the deforming forces applied so if the foot is in supination it's going to be a either a supination adduction or supination external rotation. And if the foot is in pronation, it's going to be a PAD or PER where the supination adduction is where you're going to see, these are kind of the classic uh, fracture patterns that you're going to see with it is basically a vertical medial mal fracture. And then the next part of that is you're going to fix that with like a, a buttress plate or an anti-glide plate because it's a vertical shear type injury for the supination adduction. The supination external rotation is probably the most common type because it's it's how we sprain our ankle. So this is kind of a, a graduation from an ankle sprain into an ankle fracture. Um, you're going to see a short oblique Weber B type uh, fibula fracture. Uh, that's that's kind of going to clue you in as to uh, what type of injury you have. Uh, one thing to note for the supination adduction one, you have that vertical medial mal, and you typically have a uh, kind of a, a transverse avulsion type fracture of the lateral, uh, the distal fibula. Uh, a pronation abduction is where you'll get a uh, avulsion fracture of the medial mal and some sort of high Weber C comminuted fibula fracture with possible articular impaction, which makes this a more um, kind of a pilon type of injury rather than a true ankle fracture. And then pronation external rotation is where you get a high oblique Weber C and uh, a medial malfracture. And so 
the supination external rotation is a vapor B, so at the level of the syndesmosis, whereas a PER or pronation external rotation is a vapor C oblique fracture. Um, I know that that's a lot to go through. Google, <laughs> Google Loggy Hansen, go to OrthoBullets, look at Loggy Hansen, and they have good examples of what those mean. And then you can rewind this and kind of follow along and be like, oh, I do see that vertical medial mal, or I do see that comminuted vapor C, and and you can start to put these these fractures with each of the names. And then um, something that is uh, sometimes used, sometimes not, I think it still holds merit, is the Ottawa ankle rules. What are those? Yeah, for these, I remember, for some reason, like, I remember a lot of the ED residents and, like, family medicine um, uh, physicians would, like, use these or ask me these when I was an uh, intern, like, covering some football games. Um, but anyways, the Ottawa ankle rules, just so everybody is familiar with this, are the rules to see if an ankle x-ray is needed or, or x-rays are, are needed in patients or, or athletes that are having some ankle pain. And basically what it is, is you get x-rays if the patient has pain over the malleoli plus any one of these, inability to bear weight, if they're over 55 years old, or if they have tenderness of palpation over the posterior edge or tip of a malleoli. So, you know, pain over the malleoli and they can't walk, get x-rays. If they're older than 55, gets x-rays. And if they have tenderness over any other malleoli, get x-rays. Um, you know, we're, we're ortho, so we, we tend to get a lot of x-rays. Um, but those are just kind of the Ottawa ankle rules just so you have heard them and kind of know what they are. And so what x-rays should be obtained and what are you looking for when you are evaluating for ankle injuries? You know, we may have some interns in here or, you know, second, third years or, you know, second years that are starting to finally take kind of call by themselves. And the ED calls them and says, hey, we got, an, we got another one for you. And, you know, it's an ankle fracture. What x-rays should they be getting and what should they be looking for? So, yeah, first start off with the standard AP, mortise, and lateral. An AP is exactly what it is, uh, just straight on uh, anterior posterior, where you'll actually see the fibula kind of sitting behind the tibia. The lateral is a true lateral where you should see a good tailored dome and uh, distal tibia articulation not uh, overlapping each other. And then the mortise view is. Uh, this is kind of a stupid little uh, tidbit of knowledge, but the fibula is usually 17 degrees posterior to the tibia. So a mortise view is 17 degrees uh, lateral to the ankle and shot uh, so that you go down the ankle mortise. And that's what, that's what you're going to use for looking at your stress views, whether they are gravity versus external rotation stress. Um, you're going to get these with an isolated fibula fracture. And what you're doing is you're, you're saying like, and this is what I did. I was sitting there as an intern and I was like, why would I stress an isolated fibula fracture? I thought that we were, we had to fix the fibula first before looking for the syndesmotic injury, but you're actually, you're for these stress views with an isolated fibula fracture, you're not looking for a syndesmotic injury. You're looking for a medial sided injury. So the, the talus should still sit uh, underneath the tibia if there is no medial injury. Um, however, if the talus does translate laterally with an external rotation stress, then you have a deep deltoid 
ligament uh, disruption and it's a bimal equivalent. So it's an unstable ankle. Isolated fibula fractures can most of the time just be treated non-operatively in a cam boot or a cast, whereas a bimal equivalent needs surgical stabilization most of the time. You're also looking for joint congruity. Did this patient have, do they have diabetes? Do they have uh, neuropathy? Do they have some sort of uh, other issue that's causing uh, incongruent joint um, chronically or acutely? And then uh, you also want to look for, on the mortise view, the medial clear space or the tib-fib clear space. And the uh, well, the medial clear space is more for the medial malleolus and the talus, um, where if that is wider than five millimeters, you're assuming that there is some sort of deep deltoid or deltoid ligament disruption, and it's going to be a bimalleolar equivalent fracture. And then when you're looking at the tib-fib clear space, um, you're looking at the syndesmosis at this point, and, and you're trying to determine if the fibula is sitting six millimeters or more lateral than the syndesmosis of the tibia, then there's a presumed syndesmotic injury and an unstable angle. And then the uh, last one is the talocrural angle. I can't remember the exact value of this. I want to say it's somewhere around 20 or 25 degrees, but the talocrural angle, you're looking at the angle from parallel to the floor and the uh, a line drawn from the tip of the medial malleolus to the tip of the lateral malleolus. And if that is uh, less than uh, 20 or 25 degrees, don't quote me on that, you're going to have to look it up, then <laughs> the fibula is short. And there is, if you don't see a fracture on this view, you need to get entire tibia uh, x-rays to uh, look for any more proximal uh, fibula fracture. And what are some uh, intraop x-rays that you are going to use to evaluate for a syndesmotic disruption? Yeah, some of them we touched based on a little bit earlier, but, you know, repetition is key. Uh, one thing that we actually didn't mention is getting x-rays of the contralateral angle. That, that also, that can help. And we've, there have been some situations where we've had to do that intraoperatively and take a look at the other angle to see, well, what's normal, you know? So if something may be throwing you off, you can always just... Move, pull the C-arm a little bit back and get an X-ray of the other ankle and see if the two ankles match. Uh, another thing you can do that you mentioned a little bit earlier is the external rotation stress test. And what you're looking at with that external rotation stress test is external rotation of the talus. And when you do that, you're measuring the, the space in between the, uh, the tibia and the fibula, and you're seeing if that space increases. Um, and if that space increases, that is something that clues you in towards you may have a syndesmotic, uh, a syndesmotic injury. And again, you want that clear space, that that clear space uh, to be less than six millimeters, or you want to have greater than six millimeters of overlap of the fibula and the tibia when you're looking at the X-rays. So you want to see that overlap. You don't want a lot of space in between those two bones. That's what clues you in towards there's a syndesmotic injury. And you can also do the uh, cotton test that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which you could use a bone clamp or a bone hook. And you're literally just pulling the fibula to see if you can get lateral translation of the fibula and increase the space uh, in that syndesmotic area between the, uh, the tibia and the fibula. 
Hope y'all enjoy this episode of the Nailed Ortho Podcast. Continuing on with some foot and ankle trauma. Again, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let one friend know about this podcast. That would help us out a bunch. And apparently, uh, not apparently, but continuing on, good luck with your ORT studying and good luck with your board studying. And we will see you again next episode.